we put it into some film festivals and all of a sudden it just kind of took off. It found this uh, little following and it went from film festival to film festival to screening to screening. And that went on for like a year and we played like over a hundred film fests. We brought back like 70 awards and I started doing conventions and selling the movie when it came out. And then I'd have people come up to me and they'd say, are you going to make a sequel? And I was like, fuck no. Uh, <laughs> do, do you, you have no idea what I went through uh, to make this movie. And as much as it was a dream come true to get a chance to make it, it was a nightmare. That little girl was so cute and she was such a good actress that I felt comfortable killing her. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you are warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. Hello. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. This week, we are very excited to be joined by a filmmaker, Justin M. Seaman. Hello, Justin. How you doing? Good. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. We know Justin for directing the Death Day Party segment of the horror anthology film Volumes of Blood Horror Stories, which won Best Anthology Film at the 2016 Fright Night Film Fest. He also wrote and directed the full-length feature film The Barn, also from uh, 2016, as well as another short titled The Old Hag from the 2020 <laughs> horror anthology film 1031. All of these are readily available on streaming platforms. What isn't available yet and what Justin was kind enough to uh, provide us with the uh, advanced screening of is The Barn Part 2, a direct sequel to The Barn. Justin, you now are in franchise territory you are the uh, owner proprietor of a horror franchise. Congratulations, first of all, on that. Thank you. How did we get, maybe you could just walk us through to start. How do we get from your first feature length film, The Barn in 2016 to now The Barn Part Two horror franchise? Yeah, um, so it's it's a, a little bit of a crazy long story, but I'll try to give make it short. We got time. Um, okay, <laughs> so I wrote the original Barn stories let's just say but the original barn itself i wrote when i was about eight years old it was heavily influenced on goosebumps at the time but also my love of horror films and my entire life i've always wanted to be a filmmaker and i always said to myself that if i ever got the opportunity to do a feature-length horror film i wanted it to be the barn so around the time uh, uh I, I can't remember now probably i guess when i was about almost 30, I finally said, I'm just going to take my life savings, make this movie and uh, see what happens. So I, I quit my job. I had to tell my wife all this stuff too. Uh, I quit my job, told her, I said, I'm going to make this movie before somebody else comes along and makes something very similar. Uh, and I just kicked myself in the ass uh, forever because I never did it. And she joined me on that adventure, which uh, ended up turning into two years and uh, a disaster. And, um, we had a lot of problems and there was a point where the movie didn't look like it was going to get finished. And um, we ended up stopping production and kind of wrapping. And I had about a half a film made and I ended up meeting an individual that I hired people to come on set and everything. Uh, it was a, a B camera operator. He came on and uh, about a month after I kind of wrapped and didn't tell everybody how poorly things were going behind the scenes, how the movie was kind of crumbling, but I was keeping a smiley face on the whole time. Um, he called me up and he was like, Hey man, how's the movie going and all that. And I said, well, if you want to know the truth, uh, it's, it's pretty much over. I don't think I can salvage what was shot by the people uh, I hired to help me make this. Um, Cause they weren't necessarily here for the right reasons. They were kind of just here for a paycheck, uh, unfortunately. And uh, I, don't know how to tell anybody this. So I think it's just over, you know? And he was like, well, that really sucks. Yeah. I think you have a really cool story and a really awesome movie that, you know, I've always kind of wanted to be a part of what, what can I do to help? And I said, I really don't know. I don't have any money. Uh, so I said, I pretty much would need everybody to come back and do it for next to nothing. And he said, well, I'll come back and help you start over for nothing. Uh, all you have to do is reach out to the actors and see if you can get them to come back too. 
And I was in a super, super deep depression at the time because, I mean, I told myself if I never made this movie, then I automatically fail. And then at least if I tried to make the movie and it failed, well, then I knew. Well, at that point, I knew I failed. Um, so I was really, really upset with myself. And uh, so he gave me this little bit of spark of motivation to think maybe I could possibly fix this situation. Uh, so I picked up the phone and I just started making the rounds to actors and explained to them that pretty much everything we shot uh, looks like shit because we were shooting so quick that I didn't have time to check the dailies and all that stuff. I, I was doing it all. I was play. I played the boogeyman. Uh, I was building set. Um, I was catering. <laughs> you know, it was a small production. You know, yeah. I put a lot of faith into the people I hired, uh, unfortunately, and then that that falls back on my shoulders as well. Um, it wasn't until I got to that halfway point and I looked at all the footage, I was like, this is this is garbage. And so I told all the, the actors and they all agreed that they would come back for free because they they just knew how much passion I had behind this project. So we picked up the pieces and we started over pretty much and uh, we finished the movie. At that point, I just thought, OK, I have a movie. At least now I have an opportunity that I have something I can sell. Because before, when there was no finished movie, I had no opportunity of making any money back. I just thought I'm done. And then we put it into some film festivals, and all of a sudden, it just kind of took off. It found this uh, little following, and it went from film festival to film festival to screening to screening. And that went on for like a year, and we played like over 100 film fests. We brought back like 70 awards. And I started doing conventions and selling the movie when it came out. And then I'd have people come up to me and they'd say, are you going to make a sequel? And I was like, fuck, no, uh, <laughs> do, do you, you have no idea what I went through uh, to make this movie. And as much as it was a dream come true to get a chance to make it, it was a fucking nightmare. But as time continued, more and more people started asking me, you know, are you going to really, you know, would you consider making a sequel? And I started thinking people must really dig this movie uh, more than what, more than what I think, you know, because sometimes you go to conventions, you go to screenings and people just kind of say like, I like your movie. Good job. And you don't know how much of it is just them being polite and how much of it is genuine, you know, that they really praising it because they enjoyed what you made. So finally one day uh, in like 2018, I think it was, I thought I'm just going to launch an Indiegogo and I'm going to put 40,000 bucks because I think we can make it for that. And let's just see if all these people that said that they wanted a sequel would actually come out and pay for it. And so I launched it and I did a 30 day campaign. And I think within 15 days, we reached the 40,000. And then I was like, oh, shit, I got to make a movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, a very, very condensed uh, thing, you know, story of how that all came about. But, yeah, I, I never expected it to become a franchise. Honestly, I never thought I would ever make another movie in general after what I went through of making the first part. Wow. It, it kind of broke me to yeah. be honest. So, yeah. so are you saying the budget for this movie was 40 K? Uh, yeah, it, it ended up being about just around 50,000. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well done. Uh, a little bit of your background, like you went to LA and you were mm -hmm. like, you know, an assistant director, you were an AD mm -hmm. second camera, like all this stuff. What ended up bringing you all the way back from that life to do this and i have read about how you really struggled making the barn and then you enjoyed making the barn too a little bit more what, what's it been like trying to live that life out there in the big city and coming back and sort of like taking your own destiny into your hands yeah so i was fortunate that uh, my final year in college i got an internship that was with the emmys and then through the Emmys, I started working with production companies that worked and made Hallmark Channel movies. So that got my foot in the door working with the Hallmark Channel and then on the back lot of Fox and all that. So I got to jump from production to production. The cost of living in California was insane. I mean, I lived in a, in a studio apartment that in my house that I own now is as big as my office. Yeah. And I was paying uh, $2,300 $2, a month or something like that. Um, it was literally sucking up my entire paycheck. I, at the time, my now wife was my girlfriend. She came out with me. I never saw her. I was working six days a week. And, and it was great as far as being you know, a part of the film scene. But the more I talked to people, they were like, this is a bachelor life. And I was like, I'm, I'm starting to realize that. But then I would, I would meet other 
di- directors on all those different shows uh, and even other assistant directors and, you know, other people. And I'd say, how long have you been doing this? Cause I mean, no offense. They looked, o- they looked older. I was a college kid, you know, I was like 22, 23. Uh, and they were like, oh, I've been, I've been an assistant director for 25 years. I'm like, so is, is that the goal? Is that what you wanted to do? And they're like, Oh no, no, you got to climb. You got to climb the, the rungs of the ladder, you know, to get to it. I was like, so you want to be a director, but you've been doing it for 25 years. Yeah, like, how, oh, how, how tall is that ladder? Yeah. So I was like, I would go home at night and be like, Oh man, I just want to make my own movies, you know? Uh, and I don't want to do this until I'm like 50 years old to get a chance to finally make something. So one day when they, uh, the Hallmark channel was, was, asking me if I wanted to have a, a permanent position at, at this one place. Cause I started out in the offices and then I moved, I, I begged them. I was like, please don't make me read any more scripts. I just want to go out and work in the field. So then I worked out in the field for a long time. Um, they finally were like, we want to make you full time here instead of you working at these other places. I was like, I don't know if I want to stay here. I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I, I feel like if I go back to Pittsburgh, I can make my own movies there. And they were like, Hey, you know, if you want to try, go ahead. So I came back to Pittsburgh and for like two years, just nothing happened. And I was like, wow, I, I messed up. Oh man, did I mess up? And I really, really like, um, I, I felt like I had that golden ticket and I blew it. But then I, that's around the time that I was like, I'm going to try to make the barn. That's kind of what changed it was. I was like, I need to do something, you know? But yeah, that, that was the difference. I mean, Hollywood, uh, the biggest thing that made me leave Hollywood was the expenses and, and and then just the fact that I felt like I was I, I was never going to get a chance to do anything on my own. I was always going to be making somebody else's project, which is not the case for everyone, for sure. But it was enough to make me go, I, I don't want to stay here. And, and although everybody was cool around you, you knew that, like, if there was a chance, everybody wanted that spot, you know. Um, so, yeah, I loved both the barn movies so oh, much cool. huge huge fan uh, i thought they were just very authentic uh without being meta in any way which i respected so much <laughs> yeah. and to be honest like before you began speaking about the budget and all that and all the fundraising for this for what it is and what you were going for it seems like it could have been a stylistic choice it didn't look like a limitation and i i really respect the, the production of both movies you would Based this off something you wrote when you were eight. Yeah. Yep. And uh, like I used to do this thing as a coping mechanism when I was scared of stuff when I was like eight. And I would pretend I was a monster too. But I have to go like in the basement and I would like snarl and do all this stuff. And so are these like characters that you imagine when you were eight that you were actually afraid of then? I, you know, it's been so long. I don't remember so much about being afraid of them, but. My mom, um, yeah, my parents were divorced. So my mom, I lived with my mom. She was a waitress. So I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house in the country while she would be at work. And I just remember there was this one particular summer going into fall that up, way up on the top of the hill, um, I was sitting on their porch and the leaves were coming down. You could see, you could start seeing through it. I noticed this barn I'd never seen before, you know, just never paying attention to it. Cause it was so way, way high up there. And just being a kid, I started thinking like, what, what's in that old barn that I've never noticed. And my mind just started going, you know, and I was like, I bet you up somewhere around that barn, there's a pumpkin patch. And if there's a pumpkin patch, then there's gotta be a pumpkin man. That's that protects it, you know? And if there is a pumpkin patch, there's got to be a cornfield. And if there's a cornfield, there's got to be a scarecrow. And then I started thinking about the barn itself. And I was like, well, there's got to be somebody who watches the barn. And in my mind, that was the boogeyman. And the reason he's called the boogeyman is because, like I said, I stayed with my grandmother. My grandma, she was kind of a a scary grandmother, but she had this way about her to keep us kids in line, uh, the grandkids. We lived, she lived on um, Route 40, which is like the main, it, it was like the main road before the highways came into town. And there was always hitchhikers. And anytime, we, we were always kind of bad, our, me and my cousins, you know, but anytime that there would be a hitchhiker walking past the house, she'd grab us up and be like, you see that man? And there'd be these old, there'd be these dudes with beards and shit. 
and they'd have those sacks over their backs. She'd be like, you see that man? And we'd be like, yeah. She's like, now that's the boogeyman. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, can you see that? <laughs> oh my God. Sack? See that sack on his back? We're like, yeah. She's like, he's going to chop your ears off and put them in there. You don't behave. Like, Get back in the house. <laughs> So for the longest time, I was scared to death of hitchhikers as a kid because I thought, well, these men, these men are definitely going to kill me because that's what they are. But I also thought every hitchhiker was a boogeyman. So that's where the idea of the kid carrying the body parts in the sack came from and, you know, him being a boogeyman. But I thought there would be a boogeyman in this barn. And for I don't know why, you know, why he had to be a minor. But in my thought, my, my mind was, well, he's probably a minor because he's digging a hole out of hell. And, you know. And it just kind of came from there. I think I was more um, caught up with how cool it would be that if this was real up on that hill, how I would get to it and see it, you know, but it was so far away. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember being scared as more of like hoping it was real, you know, and I could go up there and actually see a pumpkin man. Tough guy. Well, I was scared. I was <laughs> yeah. frightened. What's your horror origin story? Where can you trace, you know, going from there into sure. film, into movies? What, what was it that kind of. I've watched. I've watched scary movies as long as I can remember and coming from a divorced family, my mom let me stay home and, you know, watch the monster squad. Like that was good for her little monsters, things like that. Nice. When I went to my, when I went to my dad's house, it was anything you want. Just don't tell your mother <laughs> as far back as I can remember though. I remember telling my mom probably around kindergarten, about this movie and i told her i said there's a scene where this man i want to see this movie mom i want to see it again and she's like well what what happened i said there's a there's a scene where this man with glasses is making a shake or something in a kitchen and then a, a man another man comes in like and he has like electricity and he like pops up into the kitchen with him and she's like how do you, how do you know that movie? I said, because I, I remember seeing it. She's like, we've only ever seen that movie once. And you were two years old. You can't remember that. I said, I remember just that. And the end of the, and, and it's the, I do remember it vividly from having that conversation when I told her that, but it was trick or treat with Sammy Kerr. So as far as I remember, my first memory of a horror of a horror film was trick or treat from around the time I was two or three years old with Sammy Kerr. She said that was the only time she ever watched it because it, it freaked her out. And that's when she was like, we're not watching any more horror films here. Because <laughs> her, my, her and my father got divorced like shortly after that. So, But, then, so it was, but you yeah. were hooked. She was done, so, but you were hooked. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I remember the first movie I went and saw in a movie theater, which would have been probably 1990. So I was, you know, I was a little kid, was the Night of Living Dead remake. Oh, uh, wow. Tom Savini's, yeah. Right, so, yeah. And I was like, I'm, I can do it. And I got to like the last, uh, I think, 10 minutes. And I was like, I can't do it. It's too scary. Take me out. <laughs> and then I, then I cried afterwards that I missed the ending. I was so upset I missed the uh, ending. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that goes into The Barn and The Barn 2 especially. There are some mad Tom Savini homages in this. Yeah. So talk about the practical effects. You know, I know Joe Castro was involved, but, you know, it sounds like you were pretty hands on the entire time. There are so many crazy practical effects in this movie. How did you guys pull all of this off? Well, you know, we shot most of the movie during the pandemic. So it, it really just turned into what can we do? Because we have a production well, studio. Well, I, I would say, what can't you do? Yeah, I guess so. what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. didn't you do? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think there's, I, I, I think there's somewhere around sixty or maybe seventy kills. I, I'm not completely sure. I've never really done an official count. But we shot uh, as the movie went on, like we shot a bunch of kills, and then we would be editing. And as we're editing the movie, we'd go back and go, man, that kill right there doesn't look as good as this kill later on. Let's go back and redo and amp it up. So there's different versions, like variations of kills of people that, that we have, but yeah, Joe Castro, he, uh, he made the new monsters, like the updated looks of the monsters for me. He did, um, all three monsters plus the, the end monster where they're, you know, the super beast. And then he came in for a weekend and he did like a big zombie, the street fight with zombies. And then we had, um, an individual named Ryan Hickey come in right around the middle of the pandemic. And he helped us a lot through when we had like a bunch of cast members here. But a majority of it was myself, my wife, Max Grow. Max is a lap dance Larry. 
And then uh, Zane Hirschberger, who's the the co-DP, uh, we just, you know, we just kind of knocked him out. We, you know, watching so many films and seeing how people do it and then watching other effects artists do the stuff. We just kind of learned how to do it ourselves. But we just started sitting there going like, well, what would be a cool way to kill somebody that we haven't already previously done? You know, so we're not like repeating it, but just just fun. I mean, because obviously when you watch the movie, it's not realistic kills, you know, but but they're fun kills so that you can cheer and laugh. And so every time somebody got it, we wanted to amp it up so that the next one was more and more fun and more and more fun, you know. But I don't think we would have had the opportunity to do as many as we did or as as big as we did and as fun as it was if it wasn't for the pandemic giving us the time inside the studio space to keep revisiting them. Because one of the very the very last kills was there's a girl in a hallway with the Birdman, uh, the Screecher, and she's like, hey, you know the rules. Don't touch, you know, we don't touch you, you yeah. don't touch us. Well, she actually... He, he pulls this blade out and he actually slices her face like um like a cut and she falls down she touches her face and turns around and then he stands over again he just does some like almost um it was kind of like uh psycho slashes like slash 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 you know and then she kind of dies you don't see her die she's kind of implied and we were like man that's weak that, that was weak because we shot that so early on we're like let's go back and let's just bisect her head and then we went back yeah. in and we did that that bisect and it ended up being everybody's favorite um, and we we won some awards in Canada for like best kill and stuff. I was like, okay, well, it was worth it. It was it was worth to go back and do that one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. If you had an unlimited budget, huge uh, yeah. Marvel money kind of thing, what kind of movie would you make? I don't know. I don't know. I've I've never I've never had the opportunity to think that big because I'm always like, what can we do with a little bit of money and make it you know make it fun and make it look good? You know, with, with uh, the sequel. Uh, one thing I noticed was that I thought the original, the barn looked like it was from the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second one looked like it was from the late eighties. Yeah. Like, stylistically. And it was almost like it was a progression that went together. Cause that's something you would often see in that time period is like a sequel that that far apart and uh, so close stylistically and a lot of the same people. And I thought that was really amazing. And that, that was kind of the hard part too, was, um, you know, the first movie had kind of like a, a grindhouse type feel to it because we did like mm. burns and things like that. We wanted to seem like it was more of a drive-in movie. This one, I wanted to feel more like it was a rental, you know, something you would get from a video store. So I didn't want it to be so grainy and so splicey and things like that. Um, so we kept the colors more light, less grain, uh, the way we, we we lit it a lot, a lot brighter um, than we did the first movie. And plus, you know, VHS to DVD, which is like the same evolution. This is some deep meta stuff you're doing here, man. (laughs) (laughs) You have a video store in in the barn, too. Yeah. Tape deck, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's the story behind where you actually shot that? Because isn't there like an actual local video store that still exists? So um, we were going to build that set as well in the studio space. And um. I was looking at it. I was like, man, it's going to be super hard to try to build this set and then fill it with VHS tapes and all that. And I just happened to be scrolling through Instagram and I found uh, a guy's page called Nostalgia Video. And so I messaged him and I said, hey, you know, and he, he, he was always putting up pictures of this video store space. And I said, hey, you know, um, uh, I'm making a movie. I was wondering if I could come to your video store and like filming it. And he said, oh, unfortunately, it's a private like video store like in my basement he said it's not open to the public i said oh man i said i said that sucks i said um i said i made this movie called the barn and uh i'm making a sequel to it where i wanted to do just a little scene in in a video store i said but uh we were trying to avoid having to build a set and he immediately got back to me and he was holding a big box vhs and he was like i was one of your backers and I was like, oh, <laughs> nice. the first movie. He said, I love the barn. He said, um, he goes, you can absolutely come here and film it. And I was like, where are you located? He said, I'm, I'm actually in uh, pretty much Scranton, PA, which ended up being like five hours away from us. And I was like, well, hell, man, that's perfect. I said, I'll, I'll, we'll make this happen like in the next month if you're willing. So the individual, he asked me like what time, pretty much what time period does this movie take place? When's it come out? So he went through all of his tapes. He rearranged the whole entire setup he had, made sure none of the movies came out past the timeline. So like, if you were were to watch it, like it didn't, you know, I told him, I was like, it's a nine. I said, it'll be somewhere around late 90, 92. I said, before Halloween. So he made sure there was no 
like 93 and up releases that are, can be seen. Um, but he was super cool uh, and super helpful. But then right after that, like uh, I want to say maybe within that week is when the pandemic happened. And then the movie shut down for eight months. And we were just beginning our um, like our three week stretch of like, we're going to shoot for three weeks straight and wrap everybody and be done. And that was, and then it, it was, the movie was shut down and <laughs> it changed everything. Um, but that was a great, I mean, that's so, that, that location was so awesome. All we had to do was just bring a couple lights in and it was just there. Like not, a, not a public place, a private home. Yeah. Like he has like a, like an awesome basement, like a party basement basically. And then you just open up this back door and there's a video store, like in the back. It's just his. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, one of the, one of the things that stood out to me about the barn part two compared to the barn is the cast mm-hmm. specifically not the the guest not the cameos and the, the horror legends that are in the movie I'd, I'd like to talk about that too but the cast broadly to me for the barn part two seemed so much bigger than the yeah. barn you have a large primary cast you have a large secondary cast you have a ton of extras so I'm, I'm just i'm curious about the process of casting so many people and the process of managing so many people on set well the casting was pretty simple. Like with the first movie, it was hard uh, to get people involved. Um, I mean, we had about 400 submissions for the first movie because we were like, it's paid. It's a paid movie. So people did you know, apply and we we took it down to like 60 in person. Uh, you know, they came in, they auditioned in front of us. We recorded it and then we took it down to like our top 10 and then it went to like our top whatever five with this one because it was a reoccurring cast you know i was able to bring back the people that were in the first movie but in that time frame of six years i mean we we actually started filming the barn in 2013 it didn't get put out until 2016 i didn't even start shooting the second one until 2019 so there was a six-year gap in that six years i had worked on so many other people's projects and you know not only the ones i had put out but working on other people's sets i met a lot of actors uh around me and in other states and the the more i met them the more they were like if you ever end up doing something and you know you you think i could be useful let me know um so it was a yeah as i was working on the script i was writing characters for actors i knew as well like lap dance larry that was max the, the sheriff, like I know Dan, um, I've known Dan for a few years now. I wrote the sheriff for Dan. I didn't really have to do uh, a, a really big audition process for this one. I mean, we did a, a little bit, but it was really through other directors of being of like, who would you recommend? Like you've made a lot of movies, who, you know, because sometimes you have to just know like who was a problem on set, who wasn't, um, you know, who's going to be a team player and you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the hard stuff, though, was the big scenes you see where there's like the drive in. Uh, where there's a ton of extras and they have to be in makeup and we're, sh- and we're actually shooting there, even though that scene might last for 45 seconds or something, we were there for like 10 hours. And then the coordination of uh, like the street fight where there was a bunch of extras with zombies and then knowing the logistics of, okay, there's 10 people in this shot and one person's going to the left. One person's going to the right. Somebody's swinging a bat in the background. Someone has a chainsaw and we have to make sure that everybody's kind of doing the exact same thing, no matter what angle we're doing and how are they get? how's this person getting killed first. So it's kind of like uh, almost like a playbook for sports, trying to figure out what you're going to do and doing it over and over and over again. And hoping that when you get to the editing process, it all looks right and you didn't mess something up, but it's extremely stressful. So we shot that stuff first. Those were the first things we shot. We, we shot the big zombie sequences uh, of the street fight. And then the drive-in, which I'm so happy because we shot those, then we shot the video store, and then the pandemic happened. And I was like, well, there's no way we could have ever shot a scene like that during that time period with that many people. Because after that, it was like, okay, uh, it can only be me, a cameraman, a sound man with masks on, and then the actors who have to be in this room can be in here for us to film right now. Because that's how strict COVID protocols became and and that not only just for us but it was for some people to even come to even want to come to set because at the time you gotta remember when covid started we didn't know what this was uh if we're gonna if everybody's gonna die from it how you contract you know so i I told you we took an eight-month break and um 
it finally got to the point where we were like, if we wait any longer, I think this movie's going to die. So who's willing to come back to set? So that's how we started it. But uh, yeah, if I wouldn't have done the most stressful stuff that people thought I was crazy for taking on at, as the very first shoots, I would have never got them done. Maybe now, like now I could probably do it, but not two years ago. I couldn't have done it. Trent already alluded to this, but I'm so curious. How did you end up with like Doug Bradley, uh, Miss mm. Quigley, Ari, Diana Prince, Kaufman? I mean, you have so Kaufman. many people in this movie that are just like, <laughs> yeah, Kaufman. I mean, this is a, a micro budget film, mm. you know? You mentioned that you're calling in favors and you're talking to people that you know, but also, yeah. Justin, like you largely have no presence on social media. So, I mean, I had to go through Instagram to film festivals to even get your contact info to like make this happen. How are you pulling this off? Because it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, 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 I stay hidden. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's smart. That's smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I'll just, I'll start, I'll go back to uh, the beginning with the first movie. I initially reached out to Linnea Quigley's people when the movie was filming in the beginning. I got no response. I tried and tried, no response. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, <laughs> I was like that, that sucks, you know? So we had to continue making the movie. So we just shot it with, with somebody else. And it was actually just a crew member. We just shot the scenes with somebody. As the movie went into festivals and started creating a buzz, all of a sudden, my emails got returned. And they were like, hey, sorry we didn't return your emails sooner. You know, Miss Quigley is definitely interested. Would you still be interested in filming with her? And, you know, your initial reaction is like, the movie's done. What do you mean? Oh, I want to <laughs> yeah. film, yeah. you know? Right. But I was just so like, I got a chance to work with Linnea Quigley. Yeah, let's figure it out. So we went back, we rebuilt the garage set that was already gone for like a year. Wow, um, holy we, shit. Yeah, wow. we flew her in and then we added her in. Like we reshot it. We brought we brought the actor in as Sam. He he came back in and we just shot the stuff we had to. We didn't reshoot the entire scene. We just shot whatever interaction he had with her. And then I think in August of that year when we were doing the film fest, we like announced like we had a we had a screening at Popcorn Frights in Florida. We were like, this is like the Linnea Quigley screening. And she came out to it. And um, from then on, that people only saw that cut. They never saw the cut before where it was somebody else. And then she's just been a part of the team ever since. Uh, she's been a sweetheart. But, you know, it was largely to do with the fact that the movie was getting buzz and people were talking about it that I got a return. I, I assume because I wasn't getting any returns before that. Um uh, I was looking for a Dr. Rock and this is kind of a, a, a weird turn of events. So I was looking for somebody to play Dr. Rock and I was doing a convention in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh called steel city con. And I saw on the list that Doug Bradley was there. And I thought, man, that'd be really cool to have pinhead in a movie. Right. But what's he going to cost? And everybody, everybody wants pinhead in their movie. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, but this is my, you know, this is the first movie too. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know. He might, you know, I don't know if he'd want to do this character because Dr. Rock's supposed to be like kooky, wacky, you know, not taking himself serious at all. So I was specifically there to talk to Doug and I went in and I watched him do a, like a lecture. You know, I sat in the back and I, the longer I sat there and listened to him speak and just like how, how smart he was and everything he had to say, I was like, there is no way I can approach this man and ask him to be Dr. Rock. He's going to look at me like I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, like, are you really, this is the role you're asking me if I want to play, you know, cause I'm thinking, you know, would he need a wig? Is he going to wear a wig? You know, like, so I was just like, I can't do this. I'd be a fool to go up there and ask him to play this character. So as I was walking away, I crossed Ari Lehman's table and I just saw Ari Lehman being Ari Lehman and he was selling himself and he was out there doing his thing and doing, you know, doing his fist bumps and shit. And, um, I went back to my, I, I we were selling some stuff at a table and I went up to my, to Zane, the, the co DP. And I said, do you, I was like, do you know who Ari Lehman is? And he's like, yeah, he's at first, the guy, the first Jason guy. And I was like, okay. I was like, so he has like a name. Cause I said, I didn't know who he was. Uh, he's like, yeah, he's the kid from the water. I was like, okay. 
I was like, and he's just making a career out of that. <laughs> he was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. I said, well, I was like, what do you think about him? And he's like, I mean, he's like, he looks like a musician. He goes, and he has a band, you know, he goes, do you, do you want to approach him? I was like, let's, let's go do it. So we went up to him. We were like, Hey, you know, we kind of did like the, how you doing? You know, we're local filmmakers. And, um, I just briefly told him what I was, same thing I was going to tell Doug. And he immediately, he like lit up. He goes, that's me. I'm Dr. Rock. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. And he started doing, he's like, you're, you've, you, you know, you're on the rock block. He started doing all that stuff. Wow. And I was like, all right. I said, so would you, so you're interested? And he's like, yeah. How, how soon do you want to shoot it? And I said, I don't know. I'd have to look at like logistics, like flights and stuff like that. He goes, well, let me tell you what he goes, I'm coming back to Pittsburgh in one month to do a show with my band. He goes, if you can be ready in one month, you know, there won't be any of those costs. I'll wow. do my show and I'll come and film it. Wow, he said, you, cool. just, you just pay me like the, the fee for being in the movie, which was like, it was really like next to nothing. And uh, so we built that set like super, we, rent, we, we rented out like a little warehouse that was like within a half an hour from where he was playing. And we built that set like overnight for him to come in and do that. And then, you know, wow. yet again, just been friends with Ari ever since. And I tell people like, I know there are a lot, a lot of people out there that don't like Ari because um, Ari is a certain way and Ari's made a career out of being a uh, first Jason, you know, first Jason, first Jason.com, first Jason, hot sauce, first Jason, this, but there hasn't been another person attached to this project or any of my projects that has promoted or championed it as much as Ari. So I, ha I have to give him credit for that. No matter what people want to say about Ari <laughs> sometime. I had no idea he had any kind of reputation, but just on the physical resemblance, I couldn't help yeah. but think like Ron Jeremy of horror. <laughs> uh, a lot of people they talk shit on him because he had you know he popped out of the water for 13 seconds as he's made he's made a whole career out of it and i'm like dude if i could have done that i good for him i'd do it now i was like yeah. hey that, that that's a businessman yeah. <laughs> people on tiktok you know? do way less than that and they get huge so exactly exactly yeah. so uh joe bob and diana i approached joe bob at a convention probably in 2018 i think it was Right before Shutter happened, I approached him at a convention. I said, hey, we're working on this movie called Cryptids. It's all about cryptic encounters with these monsters and stuff. We're looking for the person to be the host of the radio show. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of it. And he said, oh, yeah, sounds real good. He's like, talk to my talk to my person here. So I'll get you, you know, get you contact. And I was like, OK, well, that's that's kind of the way of being like, go away. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, but she gave me her contact info information and uh, I did reach out and she said, you know, hey, he's he's got some things coming up, but, you know, we'll be in touch. Well, the thing coming up was Shutter, And then after Shutter happened, I mean, he was just just couldn't get a hold of him. He was just so busy. You know, he did the Shutter show and then conventions took off. So I would reach out every now and then and be like, is there any chance we can discuss? And they're like, oh, he's just super busy, you know, and then the pandemic happened. And so everything stopped, you know, I couldn't make the barn too, couldn't get anybody here. And then all of a sudden I got an email from them being like, Hey, John wants to know if you're interested in shooting his stuff for your, your film. And I'm like, okay, this is awful timing uh, because I know right now he has nothing going on, but I can't get a single person to step into the studio because of this virus. Right. So I turned to all my crew members and was like, look, we have an opportunity to film with Joe Bob Briggs, but he wants to do it like in the next month. Who's willing to come back? So about half of the people were like comfortable with coming back. So we got it all figured out to come back. But I told him, I said, hey, look, for the cost of what this is going to be to come out here, I'm going to need John to be in two movies while he's here. <laughs> I said, so, <laughs> yeah, I said, so, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to build this radio station on this side of the studio. And then when we're done with that, we're going to walk over to this side of the studio and there's going to be a drive-in and we were going to film the barn part too. Is that cool? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Whatever you want to do, you have them for two days. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll make it, we'll make it happen. So he came out here. I want to say it must've been 2020, middle of 2020, April, April, May, 2020. And we hit it off and, uh, He's not, let me just say, he's not Joe Bob Briggs at all. Uh, he is John Bloom and um, he is super quiet. And it, it, the character you meet is just, that's not the person you're going to have an interaction with at all. Um, and so it threw me, it threw me for a loop when we 
had our our car ride from the airport to to the studio and stuff. And um, he just asked a lot of questions. And I thought he's just passing time, you know, so it's not awkward in a car trip. But he asked me about me and about the stuff I made. And I told him about the barn and everything I've told you guys in the beginning of the show about the struggle it was. And he was like, wow, he goes, uh, he goes, you should do a, a tour. You should do a tour with that and to, to talk to filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers and tell them that you don't have to go to Hollywood to to make your own damn movies. You can just do them from your own backyard. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess if anybody would want to hear that, you know, um, yet again, didn't think anything of it. So about a year goes by, I think it was. And I get a email from his uh, his agent and she's like, hey, uh, John's putting together this jamboree. It's Joe Bob's jamboree at Mahoning Drive-In. He wants to know if he pays you and takes care of your travel and your lodging and all that, if you will come out and be a guest speaker at the event and talk to all the filmmakers at the film fest and tell them your story of making the barn. Wow. And I was like, wow, he remembered. I didn't really think that he, you know, really cared. You know, I thought it was just small talk. Yeah. And so I went out and, uh, you know, they gave me the, the, all the treatment and all that stuff, put me up in a hotel and, uh, did the speech. I met all the people from shutter and then I got to meet Diana. And when I met her, she was like, Oh, John's talked so much about you, how much, how great it was being on your set and he, how much he loves the barn. And I said, well, you know, we're almost done with it, but I do have one more scene. If you'd want to get involved, I could put you in it. And she's like, I'd love to. So that's how Diana got involved. Oh, um, nice. And I, I assume that I probably wouldn't have got her any other way. I think it was the fact that John came out here and he had a good time and it was a good experience. And he realized we weren't like just a bunch of idiots with a camera. And then as far as Lloyd goes, I wanted Lloyd for the town mayor. I wrote it for Lloyd. I didn't know how to get a hold of Lloyd. Thankfully, one of the people that came on as a producer uh, knew his assistant and contacted them. And it was, it was just real quick and was able to happen. And then Lloyd came out and we met him and, and Lloyd came to the studio and he was, he came out the same weekend that we did the big, huge effects sequence with all the zombies getting killed on the street. And uh, he was just, he was taken back that we did all this. So we built all these sets and all that stuff. So he was more just talking to everybody about like, so you did this, you made this. And then a lot of it was, uh, he, he filmed a lot of us with this camera asking us questions about trauma. Like, so do you think nice. it's bad if we only pay you in hot dogs? I was like, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like, I mean, that's what you want to pay your crew members in. Lloyd, that's fine. He's like, so you don't look down on us. I was like, no, we don't look down on you, Lloyd. It's fine. Lloyd was great. I tell everybody working with Lloyd was as close to uh, directing a live action Looney Tune character uh, that I've ever been with. Um, because you go, Lloyd, like, here's the lines. All you got to do is say these lines. And then Lloyd just says what Lloyd wants to. And it's, you know, it's off the wall stuff. It's trauma, trauma lines completely. And then after he does it about three or four takes, you know, you get to the fifth take and he's like, okay, I'll give you what you want. And then you get it. And that's, <laughs> and that's what ended up in the movie. Because if awesome. I put in, if I would have put in everything that he said, it would, that those scenes with him would have been, there were times, there were times that I would turn around, I'd be looking down at my notes and I look up at the monitor and he would just have a random, uh, foam clown nose on like he just he must just carry in his pocket and we're like Lord, what, are you, what are you doing man he's like what and, you know and he just pop it back off um he was so fun though so much energy and just uh he, he was a great time on set that's but amazing amazing the the thing with doug was i wanted a care i wanted a, i know another you know horror icon to play the role of sam's grandfather in the in this film and if i couldn't get it i was just going to cut that whole scene but I really wanted to tell the scene because everybody uh, that I've talked to seemed to like the origin story from the first movie. And I wanted to build off of that. They like, you know, they like knowing the mythology, the creatures more. And I thought this was the best way to do that and, and tell more. And it, it, it kind of wraps up the loose ends I left in the first movie that I wanted people to, you know, to know about, about why did the boogeyman have the helmet in the basement? Why was why did it say Daniels? And you know, why was Sam's grandfather telling him these stories and all that stuff? So I reached out to Doug and it happened. It just so happens that Doug moved to Pittsburgh for his girlfriend 
That's where she ended up being. So he's been here for about seven years. So about the time I went to approach him, as I, I guess, was around the time he moved here. And I didn't realize that that's why he was in Pittsburgh. Other, you know, obviously, I thought it was just for a convention, but I'm guessing that was the start of him living in Pittsburgh. So he ended up being about 45 minutes away from our shooting location. And so I reached out. I sent him the script. Uh, I just told him, I said, you know, it would take probably about six hours to do this scene and all this stuff. I, you know, I sent them the offer and he got right back to me and he said, uh, you know, I'd love to do it. Let me send you over to the agent. We'll get it all properly taken care of. And I, I think maybe within two months we had him on set and we did it. And so during the uh, interview, we did like a post interview for the documentary. It's on, on the Blu-ray. We, um, we just kind of discussed some stuff and he said, you know, I, I did it for uh, multiple reasons. One, I enjoyed the script. I liked, I liked the character. I liked what was written and what was said. I thought it would be fun. He said, two, it was perfect timing because you caught me at a point where uh, the pandemic had kept us inside and we were, we were just now getting ready to emerge, uh, come back out and go to conventions and things. And um, he said, so it was a combination of, I'll, I'll, I'll just, paraphrase this it was a combination of liking what you wrote and needing money <laughs> because he wasn't doing anything uh at the time so i i believe that if i was to ask him now he probably wouldn't do it because he's very busy again uh, oh, wow. but yeah so that's all I, yeah so that's it was just timing yeah it was just i mean time. you got you got pinhead to say in your movie go raise some hell yeah <laughs> And when he read that, I, well, I left that out of the initial script. I gave that oh. to him on, on the day of. I was like, hey, there's been a little bit of a rewrite. I gave it to him. And he looked Smart at it. Move. And I was like, I was afraid that if he read that to start, he'd be like, no, I'm not doing this, you know? Um, but, but after he was paid, I was like, hey, now you have to say this. But uh, <laughs> he looked at the script and he had his glasses on. He he kind of looked down at it. He looked at me. He goes, mm, naughty, naughty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, but you know the fans are going to love it. He's like, I know. I know. <laughs> to me, watching these movies, I was like, I'm going, this guy's some sort of 80s horror historian. This guy knows every nuance and you know inflection of all the movies from this time. Uh, is that true or is that a happy accident? I mean, or? so I know a lot of them, but Zane, the my buddy, uh, the code, the code, code, uh, code DP, he is an encyclopedia of 80s knowledge. So anytime I have a question, you know, or I could say like, man, I'd like to do something like this. And he'd go, oh, you mean like a, like Maniac or, you know, like Driller Killer or something like that. I'd be like, yeah, I, I think. Like, can you show me? He'd go, he'd go to YouTube. He'd be like, yeah, like this. I'd be like, oh, yeah, dude, exactly. You know, so Zane has been key and in, in, in stuff like that. Uh, I mean, he watches everything. And Zane's also the fight choreographer, DP. Uh, with the aside from being the DP, because he loves kung fu movies and old canon action films and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I my my sweet spot is eighty slasher camp. So you know, that's that's I, I tell people I'm like, uh, I think what really made me like uh, this specific kind of horror films was Night of the Demons. Um, like that's the yeah. kind of movie I can go back and watch over and over and over, uh, and I never get bored of it. Um, but yeah, I know I, I also love like Night of the Creeps, Return of the Living Dead. And that's the kind of stuff I wanted when I set out to make the barn. I was like, I want to make my own version of these kind of films, you know, that when you watch them, they're not I mean, sure, they're silly. People make bad decisions, but they're not they're not dumb on purpose, you know, because sometimes people go like, oh, it's it's a stupid film. It's a you know, people can say it's a spoof. But you look at those movies and people aren't necessarily trying to make a bad movie and for the longest time i would i would tell people like these are my favorite movies and they go oh man those movies are awful they're great and i'd go wait what do you <laughs> what do you mean they're awful like they're just they're good movies and then i'd kind of sit back and i'd go yeah i guess those lines are kind of silly you know or like yeah that situation is kind of dumb but i never looked at those movies as bad like so bad they're good type movies i just thought they were good movies so when i set out <laughs> to make the barn I was emulating the kind of movies that I thought were good eighties horror films, you know? Right. Um, so some people read those, the movie differently. They read it as like, Oh, this is like a, a dumb camp, stupid film. 
and other people get it and they go, Hey, you made like exactly like a movie that came out in the eighties. Like, yeah, I honestly it. thought it was yeah. a lost eighties movie. When I first found out about this movie, mm-hmm. I thought that it was, um, I heard about uh, Kevin going to see part two and I figured that mm-hmm. there was a big gap between them, you know, like yeah. the uh, mutilator sequel or something. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it was wild to find out that uh, it was in 2016. And so mm-hmm. good job. Oh, thank no, you. And, and we, um, you know, I did, Justin brought the movie to Maine, um, to Apple cinemas, which was amazing. I got to go see that, uh, to see the barn two on the big screen. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, Justin did a Q and a, and I even called out like night of the demons and mm-hmm. a lot of like the homages oh, evil, that are in the movies. Dead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Evil dead. Um, like the whole deadite angle. It was fantastic. Um, but uh, we we have a very close connection here because the astronaut zombie that you talked about is actually from the same hometown as my mother-in-law. Okay. Um, and we discovered that while I was taking a leak in the bathroom before <laughs> I accosted you in the lobby <laughs> um, to keep you from going to dinner. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. but that was fantastic. It was it was really cool to see uh, an indie film come through our, you know, Portland, Maine, Westbrook, Maine. It was really cool to see that come through here and to see somebody like yourself that's doing that to have like the hometown connections. So very cool. I know that the barn one was tough. I know that you've uh, said that the barn two was a, a tad bit easier, even though of the COVID. Where would the barn three go to? You know, I don't, I don't know. Here, here's the situation with, uh, like the sequel. This sequel, you know, the the pandemic it did make it uh, challenging, but I had a blast making it. The hardest part about getting it back together was the actors. I mean, six years changed a lot. I mean, people got older, but some of them aren't even actors anymore. And some of them, their careers have taken off so much that it's, is almost impossible to get them back. And I don't want to like people who haven't seen the movie. I can't really say who, because there's, there's some actors that I could, when, when the first movie wrapped, they were like, I will come back, but I'll come back for a cameo. And I'm thinking, okay, you come back for a cameo for like a, a week or a weekend I ended up getting this one actor back for like five hours. <laughs> um, so I knew immediately that I couldn't going into the sequel. I wasn't able to do a story that probably would be a traditional sequel pickup for directly from the end of the first one into the next one. Going into a part three, you know, I have ideas of what I'd like to do. I just don't know if it's possible with the situation with actors and their lives, you know, and I would hate to not finish the trilogy with the characters and then like almost start over with a different story, you know, uh, that feel people, people keep saying, we'll do a prequel. Um, I'm like, yeah, I just, I would rather finish the story arc, you know? And if you want me to do a prequel, I do that as part four or something. Um, so I don't, I, I really don't know, um, well, if just, if it's possible. It seems like, and, and I want to keep in mind that the three of us have seen the barn part two. Mm-hmm. But nobody else has yet, or you know, the public has not seen it yet. When might everyone else, before we get into uh, into the the third installment of this fran- this now franchise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When might everybody else get a chance to see the Barn Part Two? What's going on on that end? Yeah, so actually, the Barn comes out on Amazon next week, uh, nice. Tuesday. Part Two comes out next week. Yeah. Oh, yes, I don't know what? when this, when this will be out. It'll be so, out by the time uh, by the time this Tuesday. year. So if you're hearing okay. this, the barn part two is now out on Amazon Prime. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Excellent. Uh, yeah, amazing. On Blu-ray and DVD. Uh special edition. Uh I don't know. I can't I can't get into the streaming part of it yet because of the negotiations we're doing with two different platforms. But right now it's looking like it's at some point next year, it'll probably be out one of the two bigger streaming giants okay so uh, when we're we're talking about the amazon the first release amazon prime that's out now that's the physical yeah just just physical will be out yeah okay Okay. and and streaming is in negotiation currently in negotiation yeah yep one of the biggies you're saying one of the biggies okay all right i I, I can tell you afterwards okay okay Okay. (laughs) uh and and real quick um i don't we don't want to i 
could talk to you all night, Justin. You've been such a great guest, and this is all just like fascinating yeah. to all of us. But I wanted to ask you also, it looks like you are going to be where you already are. You've, you've mentioned it, taking a, a producer role on Cryptids. Yeah, so I'm I'm the producer. I'm one of the directors uh, and writers on it right now. Um, I shot my segment probably four years ago. Uh, it's just been a long project because we shot Cryptids, started the barn pandemic happened now we're wrapping up cryptids so cryptids should be out this summer starting uh the festival circuit so be on the lookout for that uh right. it should be out to the public to purchase probably september october of this upcoming year so i'm excited because we have um myself uh, <clears throat> zane as i've mentioned multiple times in this uh in this show he did a segment who also he made uh, the Force to Fear movie. He's working on a film called Treaters. Uh, we had Johnny Holt do a segment. Uh, he did a movie called The Dooms Chapel Horror. Uh, we had Brett DeJager do a segment. He made a movie called Bone Jangles. Uh, we had Billy Pawn yep. do a segment. Uh, he made a movie called Circus of the Dead. And then we had Max Grow do a segment who's lap dance Larry, <clears throat> but he's also a filmmaker. He made a movie called Bong and the Living Dead. All of us together did segments, um, so it should be fun. We're, we're in the final stages of putting it all together. I've actually been working on it here this this whole week. We're not that far away from you, so I don't <laughs> know if I would rather be just a free zombie kill in your next movie or if I would be lap dance Larry. But you can call <laughs> me anytime. I will take yeah. either one of those jobs free of charge. I wish I could have been lap dance Larry. <laughs> I, I paid That's amazing. I paid I paid good money for that guy to have lap dances and get boobies <laughs> in his face. <laughs> yeah. You had more monsters and more boobs uh, in the sequel. That's right. The third one. That's the way it goes. Um, yeah. Justin, we talked about the the fact that you're not so much on the social media. Mm -hmm. Is is there somewhere that you direct people where they can keep up with what you're doing? Is there anywhere? on the World Wide Web that people can go and keep up with, with your projects? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you can you, you check out my IMDB, but um, I mean, for the most part right now, it's just the Facebook page for The Barn. I make updates occasionally. Okay, great. Uh, if, if you do follow, uh, if you've contributed to any of my campaigns, uh, when I do launch a new campaign, I usually go to the previous campaign and I, I, you know, I let people know like, Hey, here's a new one. Or I take the emails from that. And I kind of email blast everybody. I've just been really private. Uh, ever since I've got, I've had children, I've kind of just, I dwindled down my friends list from like almost 5,000 people to about 1500, keeping it, keeping it close to be like, who are, who are these people with their, their picture covers as Michael Myers? I don't know who they are anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of that, you did come in very hot in your first, uh, full-length kill the kid right off the, right off the bat yeah. yes yeah, yeah. right that, was, that was the first thing watching the barn for the first time like okay you know what's this all about a child with a pickaxe to the head right yeah, away but, but, I but, was like, but then he makes up for it by putting his son in a very cute freddy krueger costume in the barn yeah. too yeah there you go that's that's yeah. really putting it on the table, Justin, for a first time, you know, for somebody <laughs> know. that was the first thing I, I love in a good way. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. now I know I'm in safe hands. I know I'm in the hands of a real horror <laughs> lover. He's just killed a child with a pickaxe. First thing in the movie. I know. Let's go. That little girl was so cute, and she was such a good actress that I felt comfortable killing her. <laughs> no, she. Uh, well, she was very smart, um, and because we had to explain to her how to do that because it was shot in reverse so we had to explain to her like we're going to start with this pickaxe on your head and we're going to pull it off oh so you okay. have to you have to mouth like like you know you're in pain and then pull your head up like you're staring you know and we're like do you understand she's like yeah i got this and she did it in one take <laughs> and we're like okay um so i was really excited because i thought her parents were going to come down because we were at a real barn like in the middle of nowhere and i thought they're going to come down here and they're going to see us doing this and be like this is this is crazy, you know, but, but she had done so many different horror films that they were like, Oh, this is nothing. Ryan has it. She's good. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm way more concerned about her parents now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, um, it, I thought that'd be a fun way to start the film so that you'd be like, well, if they kill a kid, anything's possible. The rest of the movie. Exactly. So, that was that's correct. Why, that's why in the sequel, I was just like, I'm 
but maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. I like I like killing kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Justin, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time. What a yeah, what a, sure. a, a thrill for us to to talk mm. to you about your movies and and your experiences of uh, as a filmmaker. And we're very excited. You may not be on social media, but we are, and yeah. uh, and we'll definitely be keeping up with you, and uh, and we'll be talking about you for sure. And now we can end the episode. And now you can tell us what streamers you're negotiating with. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. And cut. I'd like to talk about something privately too.